0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here. That's what you've earned here tonight. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential, to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard
2: says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're gonna be winners. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch because we know... When we add up all those inches, that, that, that's going to make the f***ing difference between winning
0: and losing. It. It's Down to the Wire with, with, with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. A oh, Petey! a oh, Petey! On the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And
2: we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Down to the Wire. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host... The great and annoying Speedy Petey. As you know, you can reach us by calling us at 631-965-4990. And remember, you can go to our network website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And guys, I will say this over and over again because this is the most important thing to our network. What do you guys got to do? Well... It's very simple. If you have an Apple phone, you go to your iOS store and you download our app by going to WWSRN. And if you have Android, all you have to do is go to the Play Store and put in Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And there you go. It's right at your fingertips. You can watch our shows. You can listen to our shows. You can watch the clips of our shows. You can read our stories. You can see all our new shows that are coming up in June. So guys, if you don't have it, download it. I don't have to mention it over and over again. You guys should know. Speedy, how was your night last night? I know we had a little bit of fun after the fact of the show. We had a great show last night, and we have a great show lined up for mm-hmm. all the fans today today. What did you do last night when you went home? Mainly just edited, really, because the guest clips took forever to,
3: to keep going. Thank
2: you. Shout out to
3: the guests we had yesterday. Great interviews from both Steve Owens and Eric Hasseltine. And that was really it. And today I just sent them to them.
2: Well, at 6.30, we're going to be talking to James Madison softball head coach, Lauren Laporte. Laporte. Laporte, I'm sorry. And at 7 o'clock, we will be talking to James Madison baseball assistant head coach, recruiting coordinator, Alex... Guerrera? Guerra. Guerra. You see, you should be telling me this before the show and giving me the pronunciation of their name. But, of course, Speedy doesn't do that. That's what my producer does. He leaves me to string along. But anyways, before we get into our interviews, I do want to get into a particular subject. And the New York Mets right now has no owner. We've... Uh, there there was an owner that bought into the New York Mets uh, in the beginning of last year in Cohen, who lives out here in Long Island, multi-billionaire, a hedge fund owner. And that didn't work out because the Wilpons decided to put into that contract that they would own the rights to control the team for almost five years until he um, becomes 80% owner after that, which – Cohen eventually decided that I am not going to throw a significant amount of money into this team if I don't own the team and I don't have any control of the decision-making moving forward.
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing was when do they get full control of the team, and that was a big problem with their current owners, which no Mets fan likes. So here we are
2: trying to find another one, and maybe there will be someone coming. Then a story came out a couple of months ago that Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez and their team of owners – wanted to buy the team and it's been going in and out Alex Rodriguez. And I'll tell you this right now, Alex don't have that kind of money. He needs a bunch of people. He needs J Lo. Right. He probably needs Michael Jordan or whoever he's going to bring in hedge fund owners or whoever he knows business owners that can help him out. Cause the Mets are going to probably sell the Wilpons are going to probably sell the team for about $3 billion. Right.
3: Derek Jeter, when he bought the Marlins needed, I think three other people to do that. Now you're buying the Mets who are a far more valuable organization And yeah, A-Rod has more money than Jeter, I think. But in terms of the amount
2: of people being to buy a New York market, it's going to take a lot. When you think of the New York Mets right now and the way this team is run, and it's a joke. I mean, you're hearing that Harvey wants to come back. I mean, it's absolutely... The Dark Knight might return. The The Dark Knight has been... The Black Knight since he left the team. Because he hasn't done anything <laughs> in the MLB. The Dark Knight has been the Joker. No, he's the Black Knight. And he's not the Dark Knight anymore. He's the Black Knight. <laughs> right. He's he the completely the disappeared. <laughs> the he disappeared in the black of the night. So, uh, nobody true. knows where he that is. That is true. But... This organization has been a laughingstock in professional baseball. This is an organization that is one of the richest organizations and makes one of the most amount of money for, through their fans and through their endorsements throughout the baseball, the baseball world, the MLB. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the owners do not want to put the money into the team and the players is absolutely ridiculous. The Wilpons are probably the worst owners in professional sports, especially in New York. You're talking about some of the worst owners in professional sports here in New York. James Dolan, who hasn't really won, hasn't really won it since the '70s. That was his father. And when when you think of the only the only organization that's won is the Steinbrenners. It's the Yankees, and they haven't won since 2009.
3: Right.
2: And you talk about. The The Rangers and the Islanders, the Islanders have finally figured things out with Malkin and their team of owners mm-hmm. and the Rangers, even though Dolan owns the team, he doesn't run the team and they've played pretty well for the last, I would say 10 seasons. Yeah. They've been
3: steady for the most part, but
2: they've had their share of bad contracts too. So. And then you talk about the jets with Woody Johnson and the Johnson family and shout out to the Johnson family. Cause I really never gave a shout out to that organization. Uh, uh, rest in peace to their mother who passed away about a month and a half ago. Uh, lived a long-lasting life, 90 years old. So wow. um, I give a shout-out to the Johnson family. I really never had the opportunity to do that. So uh, may she rest in peace. And and hopefully that this team finally moves in the right direction with uh, Douglas running that organization. And maybe that was the last gift uh, from the mother and the Johnson family to the Jets fans. But to me, the worst ownership in the MLB, the worst ownership in New York goes, really, to the Wilpons, And this organization has been all over the place. I Over the years, bringing in bad contracts, deciding to go with this coach to that manager to this GM— this organization had an opportunity to bring in a very good, very young GM from Tampa. He winds up going to Boston. Uh, they interviewed him, and they, they bring in a guy that has no experience whatsoever as a GM. This is an organization that's been a shamble since they, the organization won and got into the World Series four or five years ago yeah even the
3: trades that looked good on paper too that they've had over the years or even in the free agent signings even those a lot of those didn't work out look at K-Rod the year after he led the major league record and set the major league record for saves he comes over to the Mets and he struggles Edwin Diaz this year you had Jason Bay look at all these names that just don't work out in their primes too that haven't worked out either and then the thing we always know about them, they're cheap and they settle.
2: Well, and that's the problem when you think of the New York Mets is the, that is what they do. They settle for whatever they can get. And as a right. fan, and I'm not a fan, but you are a fan, and there's second, a lot of yeah, second and third tier free agents. <laughs> well, there's a lot of Met fans out there here, especially here in Long Island and, and throughout the world, you're really throughout the country, there are a lot of Met fans. There are Met fans in Florida, there are Met fans in LA, there are Met fans in even Houston and Texas when I was over there. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of Met fans out there, and there are completely up with the Welpons and the organization as they should be so now there are stories coming out that the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and the owner of the New Jersey Devils he, he owns both teams and Mr. Harris is in the the bidding war to get this deal done and and take the Mets from the Ponds, which to me anybody and everybody would be better than the Ponds. <laughs> that's not saying much <laughs> You think of the New York Mets, and I'm telling you, I've been a fan of really bad teams over the years, okay? I'm a Jet fan. The Jets have not won. Even in the Rex Ryan era, how many many championships championships did they win? Zero. And how many AFC title games did they go at Rex Ryan? Two in the last 25, 30 years. This is a team of the New York Mets that has been in the World Series four years ago, and they were in the World Series in 2000 but they haven't won a championship since 1986. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot to do with ownership. This is not Leon Hess anymore. This has everything to do with the Wilpons. And that organization, I don't want to hear about the father and the brothers fighting. They have sh- they have shoulda they should have sold the team years ago. Years ago. Oh yeah. And the fact that they're willing to sell the teams right now and sell the team right now is because the family is arguing. The family are not getting along. The two brothers are absolutely appalled with one another. And the the father just wants to get rid of right. the, the team because they can't afford it anymore.
3: And Jeff, for the most part, has really been – Jeff Wilpon has really been that driving force that he's, his ego has just gotten too strong. A lot of it with Fred Wilpon, the father, has really been – more conventional method. I mean, still not great, but it's a more conventional method, but it's really Jeff's ego that has really taken over. And he's shied away from a lot of big players. Again, he's shied away from these decisions just because of his money. He wants his money and to keep his money. And of course that has screwed the team.
2: So when you think of the New York Mets, and I know a lot of Mets fans out there are completely disgusted of this organization. And you should be because this organization has not really done what they were supposed to do. They had a chance to win four years ago, but the the incompetence of Terry Collins and uh, keeping Matt Harvey out there because right. Matt Harvey wanted to be out there and he wanted to stay out there and he was pitching one of the best games we've ever seen in the World Series right. and he winded up costing the Mets an opportunity to possibly go further into that series and who knows what could have happened. This is an organization that's been a complete joke of a team and really – the way they run their organization. Everybody makes fun of the Johnson family and and the way they run the New York Jets. If if you think they're funny, just take a look at what the Wilpons have done. (laughs) I mean, seriously. They have been really penny-pinching over the last 10 years. And it has a lot to do with their investments, and I'm not going to get into their investments because everybody knows the Madoff situation. And they keep saying, oh, they got money, and, and they have the opportunity, and they've spent money over the years. Right. Really, how much have you spent over the years? I want to hear it from the fans. Well, they have. They spent over $100 million the last couple of years. Yeah, on second and third, third tier free agents. <laughs> That's not going to win you
3: championships you don't win you have to develop your own players and then you fill in the names with big free agents
2: when you think of new york you think of winning for the fans and there's not a and, and there's not a, a bunch of fans in this world that are bigger and, and more exciting fans than new york fans and i'm not saying that because i'm from new york you ask anybody right you ask anybody in professional sports and you you can ask with the new york rangers Why did Panarin go to the Rangers? He had his choice to go to the Islanders. He had his chance to go wherever he wanted. He was one of the best players. He wanted to play in Madison Square Garden. Why? Because it's the world's most famous arena. It's New York City. It's the New York Ranger fans. That's why he wanted to come here. When you talk about years and years of championship competitive teams, and there were great times in New York. Great times. And there have been a lot of bad times, a yeah, lot.
3: Mostly, mostly the bad times. Except for the well, Yankees. for you, it's except, been it's been bad. Well, yes, for me, I had I got the two with the Giants, which is nice. But for me, I, it's really hasn't been good. I mean, like I said, the Rangers have been good, but they didn't win. And the
2: Mets and the Knicks, yeah,
3: they are dysfunctional. No, ownerships. completely dysfunctional. <laughs> dysfunctional
2: ownership. Completely dysfunctional. And that's why when you talk about trying to compare and contrast both teams with the Yankees and and listen you can't compare the Yankees to the Mets and the Mets can't be compared to the uh to the Yankees because the Yankees are not only the richest baseball team in professional uh, in 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 the MLB but they're one of the richest teams in professional sports. So and their their organization's probably worth about 5 billion. billion. Mm-hmm. So you can compare the Yankees to the Dallas Cowboys. That's where you can yeah, compare. Yeah, I think they're
3: second on the Forbes list after the Cowboys among American sports teams.
2: So when you think of the New York Mets, and I don't know anything about Mr. Harris. I really don't. I, I don't know. I know his team, as far as the 76ers, they've gotten better. But they've had a lot of losing seasons before they've gotten better. Right, and they've had their share of bad contracts,
3: too, recently. And Who cares about question. bad contracts? Well, That's again, nice. you look at that when you see who the owners have gone after, what kind of reputation you could expect. Obviously, it varies with different sports. He has the Devils. He has the 76ers already, and... I think that for the most part that both teams lately have been up and down. So judge that for yourself and the Mets are always like that anyway. Well, how right? long has he been the owner for the Devils? I will look that up, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But again, the Devils I think for They've the most part They've been a part, pretty good team. They yeah, really I have. I think for the most part If uh, he's been the owner of the Devils for at least 20 years, he's won championships. Yeah, I, I got to see how long cuz
2: he uh let's see. Five years, five children. Five years, so he was not part of that. Oh, he it, might
3: have been part of the 2012 team that went to the Cup. How
2: long has he been the owner of the team? Where does it say that? Uh, 2011. So, yeah,
3: he was part of, oh, no, 2013. So it was the year after they went to the Cup and lost to the Kings. So,
2: but he's s- been around for a team that has been successful, and right. they've been, they have been—they have won. They, I mean, not win championships, right. but they've won. They've been in the playoffs a couple of times and they're they're a winning organization. Right. That's what they that's what they do. So the 76ers right now have been a consistent playoff team, and the Devils have been a consistent playoff team. Really not last two years, but uh, from 2013 really to 2017, mm-hmm. they've been consistent in the playoffs and been a competitive team. So When I look at the New York Mets, should the Mets uh, move on from the Wilpons? I I, absolutely—I think anybody, (laughs) even the Johnson or even Dolan taking over the team, would be better for the New York Mets and their organization.
3: Do we really want to move on to have James Dolan on another team? Oh, jeez. I don't know if I necessarily want that, especially for baseball. We've seen— if they, if they give out more bad contracts, we've seen that hinder franchises too at the same time. Now, the Mets have the opposite problem, but still it's still something that we see now. Teams like the Angels, teams like the Tigers, they've been cash-strapped and have had trouble rebuilding as a result. I really don't want to have that if James Tolan gives out
2: bad contracts. It, it, to me, as a New York fan, and I am not, a not, I am not a Mets fan. Anybody that knows me, I don't root on the Mets. I'm a New York Yankee fan. I was born a Yankee fan. I've been... Growing up when the Yankees were very, very bad in the 80s. I talk about it all the time. I've been a Don Mattenly fan ever since. And I am not a Derek Jeter fan. And everybody would know that if you listen to this show. I actually dislike Derek Jeter very, very much as a player. And, yes, he was a a decent captain. But when the Yankees were still a very good team, the guy that players looked up to, and and you can ask any player. I've interviewed players. It was Alex Rodriguez. It wasn't Derek Jeter. Uh So when i think of new york sports it, we are a losing uh, state we are have been a losing state for the last 20 years and we we have not been uh, a really good run organizations in professional sports the giants have won a couple of championships in the last i would say 15 years mm-hmm. uh the jets have we've t- talked about the jets and and the yankees have won since they've won one championship in 2009 they haven't won since then from 2000 so there has not been winning or, you know, organizations here in New York. And the Mets have been fiending for a championship competitive team. And there are better Mets fans in, in, in here in New York than Islander fans, even Ranger fans. There are more Mets fans out here in New York than Ranger fans. And that tells you something about the Mets fans. Mm-hmm. And you heard what the – what do they call him? The Panda? Oh, uh, who's their first baseman?
3: Pete Alonso, yeah, yeah polar bear. Uh, the giant yep. pit. polar bear. Polar, the bear, polar
2: bear, whatever. Pete Alonso has come out and said that the Met fans are probably the best fans he's ever been around. And yes, he plays for the Mets, but he's been all around. He's been he played in Dodger Stadium. Met fans are. Absolutely dedicated to their team and their organization, no if, matter how bad the whale
3: ponds are. And if you watch the West Coast games a lot of the time too, at night, you're gonna see a lot of Mets fans too in the in the road stadiums as well. It just shows their passion level. And like I said, like we've been saying, the problem is they just keep making the same mistake over and over again. They get second and third tier free agents, usually older. And uh, uh, impressively injury-prone all the time. Whenever they come here, always injury-prone. And, yeah, that's the same cycle. And that's the move
2: It would definitely bother me as a New York fan that if the Mets don't sell this team, this organization is going to go even further downhill. And I don't want to talk about trying to compare and contrast uh, what players they have on their team. Well the Mets are they look like they're a pretty good team this year. Who cares? They can look <laughs> as good as they they look on paper. When the season starts, it whatever how many games they play, and we'll get into that a little bit later, 76, 72, or even 46. It doesn't matter. When you look at the Mets as a whole and what this organization is, even on a piece of paper, they've always been looked they've always been looked at as a decent team going into the season. And they have not really been a good team really since four years ago and it really shows when they keep doing that the same a lot
3: of the same things and because they've had trouble developing position players they have to do it from their own uh, they have to do it from free agency they can't just do it from their own farm system but again you would think they would try to at least evolve with different other approaches if you're gonna if you're going to have trouble getting free agents because you're cheap, be something like the Rays or be something like other teams that have found good gems, good player development organizations, make good trades. And they haven't done that either. So they're always been a kind of a tweener team. They're stuck in between. They look good at times. But again, they're not. it's not a consistent model for success. And they need an owner that will help bring in a GM and give enough money to have that kind of approach go forward.
2: It's very very interesting. When we come back ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to James Madison softball head coach Lauren Laporte. Laporte. laporte, laporte. Mm-hmm. laporte. Okay. Here on Down to the Wire.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to, to Down, Down to, to the, the Wire, Wire on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
2: And we are back. You know, this is Down to the Wire. We are free, single Monday and 8 p.m. As you guys know, you can call us at six five four nine nine zero. We are now talking to our invest coach. you, Lauren? i excited for you to long. dead you on hold Just when we warm here? The internet and everything that's going How are you?
4: It's definitely been very
2: warm. Doing with everything.
4: We're, we're old and I am 24 weeks pregnant. Um, oh. so, um it has been really great to, you know, spend a lot of time with him and do things that obviously I would not be doing, you know, this time of the year. And during the season, um, you know, we've done a lot of things outdoors and camping and um, building forts. So, you know, trying to make the best of it and, you know, just um, just trying to stay positive through all this.
2: Well, I'll tell you this, and and I've learned this over the years, especially uh, as a sports fan, I, I've been a huge fan of United States softball. I've watched uh, the USA team over the years compete, and they've been one of the most dominant softball, uh, you, you know, college, you know, sports in in the Olympics. So tell us a little bit about uh, James Madison and the growth of your softball team over there.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, pride ourselves in. Um, being, you know, hopefully being in the top 25 um, every year, um, you know, the last seven years. Uh, we've been to the postseason. Last year, of course, um, we finished 11th in the country and, and went to a super regional um, out at UCLA. Um, had to face Rachel Garcia, who was actually on the USA team. <laughs> um, so that, that was a tough matchup. But, um, you know, our girls work hard. And um, we, we're kind of that, I guess you could say, under, underdog gritty team mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, if, if people see us on the schedule, Uh, we want them to know they can't take it easy. Um, So it's just kind of something that we talk about and and, and trying to outwork um, our opponents um, in in every facet, you know, in the weight room, um, in practice, um, in our community. uh, Just, you know, just outwork everyone. And and that's kind of what we have to do at JMU uh, to stay, you know, um, on a national stage.
2: We are talking to James Madison softball head coach Lauren Laporte. Now Lauren as far as recruiting and we ask a lot of coaches this in basketball, baseball, hockey, uh football, we've asked them so many times. When you go into a house and you're you're trying to recruit a player and you're talking to their parents and uh they're good students but you're trying to sell James Madison. How do you go upon doing that?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing about JMU um it is the people. Um you know, we're we're a tight-knit not just our softball team, but the whole athletic department um, and the university as a whole, um, you know, all the teams are are really supported, not only from the people of the university, but the community. Um, And then that's a big thing, you know, we're from a smaller area, Harrisonburg, you know, not that big. Um, So in our games, I mean, we're averaging, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 people in our stadium, which is amazing, um, you know, from, you know, being a smaller town. So I would just say, you know, the feel of it's just that family feel. Uh, parents, you know, they want to feel good uh, when the, their kids are getting dropped off and, and feel that they know that, you know, they have someone there. And there's a lot of people at JMU that they can rely on. And, you know, our support staff is great. Our administrators are great. And, you know, athletes, athletics is, is a big thing for our community.
2: Now, when I, you know, I never played softball. And I, I did umpire softball, women's softball, guys' softball. And it can get a little abrupt, uh, and I've, I've learned that over the years. The fans, even the players, and even when you're, when you're doing high school and you're, uh, you're, you're umpiring high school kids, and they're at sixth graders and seventh, grade, seventh graders, and the parents get – I'm very, uh, very surprised how parents get in, in the audience and, and the way they yell at the umpires when they make the wrong call. What do you do when um, a parent is yelling at you – when you're making you're making the wrong call or taking out a pitcher because you think they're tired, what do you do? How do you react to that situation?
4: Honestly, like I'm so laser focused on on what's happening in the game, I don't even I don't even hear anybody in the stands. To be completely honest, um, there's been some times where we've been some places, and even at our place, uh, where you know I've sent a runner home and she got out of the plate, or you know I'm out on the mound talking to a pitcher and people are yelling, I don't even hear it. Um, and I think that you know that's just how you have to be as a coach. You don't have thick skin. You can't take things personal. Um, and umpires are the same way. You know, I have found, especially with umpires, that you know if you respect them, you know everybody's everybody's going to make mistakes. I mean that's just life. And um, you know I just I, I just don't really hear it that much. And I, we we really don't have you know parents that really do that either, which I'm unfortunate. You know our fans um, don't really yell a whole lot from the stand. Um I really don't really talk to them much after the games as far as, you know, if they're mad. So um, I kind of tune it out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so your recruiting class this coming season, tell us a little bit about your recruiting class and the growth of your team the last, really the last two years.
4: Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the thing with our team too, we've had a lot of local kids and, and regional kids um, that aren't too far away from different states that, Um, are big-time players for us. You know, we believe that, you know, if we have people that are close by, um, when when they get to play in front of their parents and their families on a regular basis, I can tell you they play a little bit harder. Um, And it's kind of nice to have, I think we have three or four, you know, that are from the local areas. um, And and it brings the community, and it's gentle. You know, all of their their hometown kind of comes and watches our game. Um, But this, this year, our 2020 class includes two pitchers, Uh, a catcher, um, and then three uh, position players, infielders and outfielders. They really can play anywhere. Um, So we got a good mix uh, uh, in our 2020 class. And, of course, you know, we have three seniors returning. um, Odyssey, Alexander, Kate Gordon, Madison, Naokas are coming back to use their extra year of eligibility. So I'm I'm very excited um, about what the year looks
2: like. We are talking to James Madison softball head coach Lauren Laporte now lauren i've I've watched college softball and I watched the World Series and i that's the only time I get a chance to watch it because you never get to watch it over here in New York on TV i, I actually uh, have um gone to different schools when we when we do uh, we we interview some of these high school kids and some of the big time prospects out here on long island we We go yeah. out there and we interview them. What do you look for in a pitcher? because I again I don't know if you could put a curve ball on a fast pitch with a, with a, with a softball. What do you look for? Do you look for speed? Do you look for, um, uh, breaking ball pitches? What do you look for, for a pitcher?
4: Yeah. You know, I think it's a, it's a combination. I think, you know, you got to have velocity and I think, you know, as a coach, you have to know that there's more in them, you know, because when they get to us, it's very different from when they're in high school and travel ball, because we have a on a late program. Um, you know, they're, they're doing softball 24-7, where that's not really what they do, um, you know, coming you know, during high school. So we're looking for velocity, and can they increase their velocity? They, do they have the body type um, to get, you know, three or four miles an hour more um, on their fastballs and, and things like that? And, of course, you know, their movement pitches have to move. Um, you can't um, have everything doing the same thing and staying at the same height. Um, and a big thing that, you know, we're looking for that is a little bit different than in the past is, diff- is changes in speed. Um, you know, having three different speeds to keep hitters off balance. You know, we've been fortunate, and um, Megan and Cece, you know, they throw almost 70 miles an hour. But if you don't have that kind of velocity, you've got to be able to keep hitters off balance and throw at different speeds. So, you know, you have your fastball at your top speed. Then you know your movement pitch is more, you know, three or four miles an hour slower, and then you have your changeup, which is about ten miles an hour slower. So I think that's very important, especially in this day and age. The hitters, um, there's so much technology, um, and hitters have just gotten better across the board. You know, back in the day, I would even say, shoot, ten years ago, it was a pitcher's game. Um, you would see a lot of one nothing, two one, three two ball games, and now there there are a lot of runs being scored. Um, so pitchers have had to make adjustments and. So I think you know those three things is kind of what we we look for. You know, can they change speed? Um, is their stuff? Is their movement? Pitches moving uh, with the correct spin, and then you know, what's their velocity like?
2: So uh, my question for you is leadership, and as you know, in professional sports, it's all about leadership. Uh, not only from the coaching stand, but really the players. You know, the player stand. Is there a particular player that you look for in leadership for your players uh, in the last past year?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, what's funny is, you know, our senior class and even our junior class, um, we've relied on those two classes a ton as far as, you know, showing the underclass and the ropes and how we do things. And I think it's good to have a mixture of, of different types of leadership. Like, we have one, we have probably two girls that we need, where we need them to tell the team something. Um, they're going to tell it. They're they're kind of the voice. And then we have others that kind of lead by example. You know, they're they're your kind of under the regular hard workers that always picking up stuff after practice and doing the little things. And um, you know, I think our our junior and senior class did a nice job at that. We're still trying to develop them and open them up a little bit because you know the quiet ones still have to every now and then you know say something and, and, and give their opinion just so they you know the underclassmen know hey. You know, they're going to speak up when, when they need to speak up. But, you know, there's different types of leadership, and we have certain things that we go to each leader or, you know, upperclassmen about when we need something to be done.
3: Lauren, in terms of softball, in terms of the strategy of it, there's a lot of rule differences between that and baseball with the substitutions, yes. managerial strategy. They have designated offensive players, designated defensive players. Talk about what you use most with that kind of strategy and how you think it's maybe better or worse than baseball
4: yeah you know we have the dp flex rule um the thing with us we love pitchers that hit um i I, you know we've had three all americans in our program and three of them were pitchers that actually hit um and they were over 350 you know hitters so um we we have we do have pitchers that don't hit too so when your pitchers don't hit of course they'll be in that flex um in the 10 spot where they don't hit but you know what's nice about it is if you do have a pitcher that hits Um, You can take, you know, someone off the bench, you know, your your best um, DH or pitch hitter, and you can put them in the lineup um, and then put your best defensive player in in the flex spot um, that doesn't maybe hit all that well but is so good on defense, you've got to have her on the field. Um, So it's nice to be able to strategize a little bit and, you know, also if that defensive player is in the flex spot, they can also run. Uh, one time for the dp um so there's a lot of different ways you can handle it but it really depends on if your pitchers can hit or not and and how you use that substitution rule which is much different than baseball um i absolutely love it um and you know it gives someone off the bench who maybe isn't your best defensive player a chance to you know do a lot in your lineup
2: we are talking to james madison softball head coach lauren laporte Lauren, baseball is completely different than softball. But I know there is always game planning when it comes to if you're down by two runs and you're going into a particular inning, the sixth inning, and you you have to score runs. And some of their pitchers are completely dominant in so many ways. And when I've seen a softball pitcher throw 95 miles per hour, I've seen it. And it's absolutely incredible the way how hard these girls throw. Do you have a game plan before that particular game if you know you're going to be facing a pitcher in that particular moment, um, a relief pitcher that has been a dominant pitcher uh, all season long? Do you have a game plan against that particular pitcher?
4: You know, we we spend a lot of time, um, one of our, my associate head coach, uh, Jen Herzig, um, scouting. I'd probably say we spend, holy cow, three or four hours on each team when it comes to scouting. So our girls the night before games get a huge scouting report on every single player in the lineup, every single pitcher, um, the catcher's arms, things like that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say we change our swing and we change our approach depending on the pitcher. We just have, you know, the preparation of knowing what each pitcher is going to throw at us. Um, so it's not like we're going to be like, okay, she's throwing harder, so we're just going to, you know, hit the contact. <laughs> it's, it's not like that. We don't change kind uh, of what we do, we just have a better idea of how we're going to be attacked. Um, and, you know, I can tell you it's made a big difference, um, uh, you know, in, in the games um, and just knowing the pitchers because there's a lot of times when we play teams that aren't in our conference where, you know, you might not know about, know much about, but I can tell you our, our associate head coach spends a lot of time. So our players are ready. So whoever pitcher, you know, if they're throwing someone into the sixth and end, we have a whole description of, of what she's going to do. Um, So that's kind of how I wouldn't change. I wouldn't say we change what we do depending on the pitcher. We just know how we're going to be attacked.
3: So, do you think in terms of the motion of softball pitching? In terms of we see a lot of arm injuries in baseball, Tommy John surgery, UCL uh, tears a lot of the time. Do you think the motion of softball pitching with the double rotation, sometimes triple, if, for some pitchers of your arm, the way it spins? Do you think that? is different in terms of helping arm lessen less in arm injuries. Do you think there's more as a result of that kind of motion or do you think it's kind of the same?
4: Oh, it's definitely less. I mean, our pitchers can throw honestly, three games in one day. Like we would never do that. Um, but in travel ball, there are some pitchers that are throwing three games in a day. Um, it's a natural motion. You don't get as sore as throwing overhand. Um, you know, with baseball pitchers, they throw, you know, one pitcher will throw on a Friday, and then they can't throw again until the next weekend, where our pitchers could throw back-to-back days. They can throw multiple games in a day. Um, you know, we we kind of have them on on a pitch count. We kind of know we're we're doing pins and things like that. We know when they put through a certain pitch count, we know when velocity starts going down and things kind of stop working. Um, so we kind of base off that. You know, in the dugout we have somebody with a clicker. And In every inning, I'm, you know, we're asking, how where, you know, what's their pitch count? Um, but as far as being able to pitch and going, they can keep going um, until they're say, You know, they, they usually tell us, hey, like, farm, I just don't have, you know, it with my fingers because we're big on spin, too, and, and that's how you move the ball. So, you know, their fingers score sore um, and the wrist gets sore and things like that. But it is a natural motion, very different than, you know, baseball pitchers. So we only have – Usually five, maybe six pitchers on staff. Wow. Um, where, where baseball has, you know, 15 to 20. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, we only, usually in softball, you know, if you watch the World Series, you only usually see two pitchers pitching, and those are your two horses. You know, um, I will say back in the day, there was usually only one that threw every single game in the College World Wow. Cup. Now, because the hitting has gotten so much, you know, better and more powerful, you've got to have a staff more than one. So, um, but when they get down to the wire, I mean Garcia, um, you know, threw almost every game in the
2: series, so You said down to the wire, which that's the name of our show, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Look at that. I didn't even mean to say that <laughs> Uh, we are talking to James Madison softball head coach Lauren Laporte. And Lauren, I want to give all the fans out there. We have had technical difficulties with our video feed, and a lot of people wanted to see this interview. But don't worry. Uh, after the show, we're going to cut out the audio and we're going to put it all over social media so everybody can see and, and listen to this interview. If if you can't see it, I'm sorry. I would apologize, oh, uh, but. That would be fine. But, I know how technology is. Oh my god. We it, it's really <laughs> because it's not my <laughs> <laughs> Well, you want to know something it's all about right now uh going it's not just us it's uh the technology throughout the country right now uh with what with what's going on. But uh we are we do have the audio and we're going to make sure everybody hears this interview. So, Lauren, I look at baseball and I have been really upset at what's going on in the MLB. And I know you're a big baseball fan, you're a softball fan, so I'm sure you're a baseball fan. What were your thoughts when you heard about the Houston Astros, the cheating uh, being brought into the game, and really hurting not only the sport, but really hurting the Houston Astros championships, uh, championship that they won in 2017, which right now... Is an asterisk on their on their winning and their championship? Do you think they got it right? Do you think the MLB got it right, uh, not suspending the players?
4: You know, I, I think that kind of thing is tough. You know, not really knowing, and, and some players are saying going to have in concert. And I don't really know all, all of the ins and outs uh, of the situation with the Astros. I think what's hard, just as a coach, especially trying to teach these young players and and doing the right thing. And, and winning the right way, you know, and I think that's what hurts me most as a coach is just having to do things that aren't right um, and 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 winning. It does it can't feel right to the players if it did happen, um, but you know, if I don't know if they had all the evidence um, or whatnot, um, so I don't really have, um, I guess, a, a, a big time decision on or opinion on if it was right or wrong. I just hate the fact as a coach where. If it was being the wrong done the wrong way, it, it's just sad for our game and it's sad with teaching the younger generation. And I remember watching that series. I mean, they were so much fun to watch. I'm not gonna lie, like they they were just a fun team to watch. You know their energy, um, but it is a shame that if if it is everything is true, um, that that's what we're teaching these younger generations that they have to go, you know, and and, and do those kind of things in order to win championships. I just I don't think it's teaching, you know, our our younger ones the
3: right way. Your team last season especially was a victim of playing in a regional that was actually in Los Angeles, (laughs) which you had to play against UCLA. That's kind of a home field advantage for them kind of thing. Obviously, there's not going to be all of them in Los Angeles, but a lot majority of them being UCLA fans. Now, a lot of other college sports don't have that structure. They, you might get one March Madness game here and there, kind of thing. Hockey, the same way, football—they don't have that kind of thing. Do you think? Are, are you in favor with that kind of thing being the regionals right towards those top seeds or power teams like that, or do you think they should change it?
4: Well, it's funny you say that because our regional was actually in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, our super regional was in UCLA. Um You know, we felt that. You know, we—I think we were. Both I want to say 13th or 14th. So we thought we were actually going to host the regional. Um, our, our girls softball we you know we hosted the year before, or two years before. Um, you know, we had a we actually hosted a super too. I don't. I I do. I think the top the top 15 teams deserve to host, but it all comes down to what the committee decides who the top 15 teams are. That's that's the issue. And a lot of times, obviously, mid majors don't get. Um, a top 15 seed because our conference schedule, you know, is a little, our RPI is a little bit lower. Um, so yeah, we were disappointed that we didn't get to host a regional. We knew we weren't high enough with basically the top 15 host a regional and the top eight host the super regional. Um, so we were we were sent off earlier than what we thought. You know, we lost to them and we had to we lost to them in the first round um, in 12 innings, two to one. And then we had to turn around and play DePaul the next day. And then we had to beat them twice, Michigan twice, to advance. And, you know, we ended up doing that. And I can tell you, Ann Arbor is not an easy place to play. I think they have their own alumni band that comes and plays in the stands. And we have never played in the stands where there's a band. Um, but we got the job done. And then they, and we went to, you know, I mean, UCLA was ranked number one. Um, so the 15th team, um, so that that regional. So I honestly I don't have a problem with the structure of it. I just think, you know, the the process of of choosing who the top fifteen can get a little dicey. But you know, I, I wasn't mad. I mean, honestly, it, going up to Michigan, it kind of fueled our players a little bit, and it made them hungry, and it made them want, wanting to prove that they were a top fifteen team.
2: Before we let you go, the next person we're going to be interviewing is a guy that you probably know from James Madison, the baseball assistant head coach and recruiting coordinator. You know who I'm talking about, Mr. Alex. Tell us a little oh, bit yeah. about. I know. Tell us a little bit about him before we interview him. And so if you have any funny things that you want to attack him on, uh, we can use it on that interview. <laughs> well, what's
4: funny is I was actually, I coached my kind of, when I first got started, I coached at where Alex played at Rafferty University. So I was 22, 23 years old, and he was just a couple years younger than me. So he was, I think he was a sophomore or junior when I first started out. he was playing at the university I started at. So I known Alex a very long time, um, and then he um, coached. I think he stayed at Rafferty, um, for maybe one year after graduated to coach, and then he went off and did his coaching, staying at some other places. And then when he got the JMU job, it was just kind of crazy because we, you know, we knew each other back at when I first started. So I can tell you, he's a very entertaining. Um, he, you know, he's he's a players' coach. All his players, you know, really like playing for him. Um, there are many times, see, we share the same indoor facility. Um, so there are many times, you know, we're on one side, they're on the other, and he's screaming and yelling in a good way. Not, <laughs> not bad. He, he's a joker. Um, so I'm just like, I can't tell if he's serious or not. Most of the times he's not. But um, he, he gets the gets the kids going, gets the guys going. Um, and he's fun to be around. That's for sure.
2: When the season begins, we'd love to get you back on. And if we ever do decide to go to Virginia, we would love to come down there and interview your players, interview you and your coaching staff. If if you would invite us, we would absolutely love to come. We were just in Virginia, I would say about seven, eight months uh, eight months ago, we were working on uh, the Long Island, uh, what are they? Long, Long Island, Island Osters?
3: Youth football.
2: Youth football over there in, okay. in Richmond. And we were... Uh, uh, interviewing the kids and doing play-by-play. And we would love to come down there and and meet and see your facility and meet some of your players.
4: That would be awesome. And, you know, we come up to Hofstra every now and then. They're, oh, they're our big rivals, I can tell you that. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're in our <laughs> conference. Uh, we're, we always have some battles with them, that's for sure. So, yeah, anytime you want to come down, um,
2: love to have you. Well, well, whenever you play Hofstra, we'll stay in touch and whenever you play hofstra we would love to come down there in hofstra at hofstra because i know um yeah. i i know over there i i actually uh, i didn't go well i went there for 2 weeks <laughs> 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 i decided that it wasn't for me but uh, <laughs> uh, uh but uh hofstra's a beautiful school they have a beautiful facility over there so we would love to it come is. in and they've
4: done a lot with their
2: program I mean, they've always had a great program so We would love to come and meet you guys and interview you guys. Uh, You look like a a very – first of all, you, you, what we've seen so far and what we've read about you, you're an up-and-coming coach. And and what you do uh, moving forward, I'm rooting for you, and I'm rooting for your team.
4: Well, thank you so much. Um, This was definitely a fun interview, for sure.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Tell the fans how they can find you on social media.
4: Yeah, um, you know, we have our own JMU softball page on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're always, you know, posting things that our kids are doing in our community, you know, we're really big in the community service, that's probably one of, uh, I think we won our, our JMU um, University Award the last three years, so it's something that we take a lot of pride in, um, so you'll always see our players doing things, um, especially right now, we have some players that are out and about, you know, helping the communities out during this pandemic, but um we put highlights up, we put alumni stuff up. So yeah, check us out on that for sure.
2: Well, before we let you go, because obviously uh, we are calling you on a, a phone number that we can't get in touch with you. We want to send you the interview throughout your social media so you can see it. How do we find you and how do we give you your, you know, what is your email so we can reach out to you and send you the interview? Yeah,
4: it's um, M-E-S-S-I-C-L-R. At
2: jmu.edu. Did you get it, Speedy?
3: Mess m i m e s s i c l r at jmu.edu. And they're yeah, all lowercase letter? lower so, letters. All lowercase letters. jmu, I, I, yeah, all lowercase. I wasn't Thank
4: married, so it was messy. It's my maiden name, and then I got married in 2013, so I
2: just kept the same email. So husband <laughs> was all very confusing. They're like, "What? What is me? <laughs> but that's my. Do you name. do you have a Twitter? Can we send it
4: through your Twitter? Yeah.
2: All right. How do we find you on Twitter?
4: It's Lauren Messick as well.
2: <laughs> there you go, Lauren Messick. <laughs> Thank you. We,
4: um... Let me get on there real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like me and uh, my personal Twitter. Yes. There's not much on there. I do, you know, usually do everything with Jamie softball. Usually, i usually don't do a lot with my personal.
2: Okay. We'll post it on your softball. We'll post it on your okay. softball no, Twitter.
4: No, we will for sure. We will. Okay. I to do that my
2: well, we'll post it on your softball. We'll we'll find the uh, the Twitter on, uh, um, what is it? WMU softball. I tagged it already.
3: Oh, there so you go. I so,
2: yep. so we'll we'll send you the interview, and uh, we're looking forward to meeting you. And good luck uh, on the new season.
4: Thank you so much.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Lauren.
4: All right. Thank you,
2: <laughs> Lauren Laporte. Uh, up next, we have who? Speedy. We have the
3: James Madison baseball assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, Alex
2: Guerra. Here on Down to the Wire, up next.
0: You're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to Down to the Wire on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
2: And we are back. As you know, this is Down to the Wire. We are live Monday and Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Speedy, what is this track? You asked me to find modern music. Modern music? I've never heard of it before in my life.
3: It was on the Billboard charts.
2: Well, well, Billboard charts are no Billboard charts. I'm a DJ, and I've never heard it before in my life. All right. Thank you, Speedy. (laughs) Anyways, we have our second guest of the show, we are now talking to James Madison baseball assistant head coach and recruiting coordinator, Alex Guerra. What's going, Alex? Guys, how are you? We How's are good. Going? How are you and your family doing with this pandemic?
1: We're doing well. Um, you know, I'm down here, obviously, in Virginia, and uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a, in a smaller town, not as populated as New York, so there's not as much interaction with people, especially everybody's on lockdown here, but. You know, I know my family that's up on uh, Long Island has uh, had to deal with many more precautions, and uh, I think it's probably affected just like all you guys up there. You know, everyone's lifestyle in New York a lot different than than myself. So, you know, I'm I'm personally very fortunate. I'm healthy. I'm safe, and you know, we haven't had uh, many cases down here. And you know, at the end of the day, it's it's just about trying to be as respectful as you can of what's going on, and you know, washing your hands and keeping your distance from people, and just respecting the the simple guidelines and rules that uh, our government at the state and national level have uh, asked us to abide by. And, mm. and it's all it's all my part as a citizen. And <laughs> uh, I think, bro, I'm not, there's no sense in complaining and whining about it. it is what it is. It's life. And uh, I think if everybody can try to have that mindset and that attitude, I think normalcy will, will come a lot quicker.
2: So. You spoke about Long Island. What family do you have living here on Long Island and where in so Long I Island?
1: Grew up, so I grew up in, in, in Wantagh. I went to Wantagh High
2: School. Really?
1: Yeah, yeah. My family and uh, my mom, my dad, my sister, they should be listening to the, to the radio right now. Hopefully my dad got to continue working <laughs> properly. Um, but uh, yeah, we're still living the same, on the same street that I grew up in. Uh, we, my dad grew up, the house they live in right now, my dad, my mom, my sister, they moved down there uh, a few years back. But, shoot, my dad is, is lived on that same road for 50 years, 60 years almost. So, um, yeah, that's I'm, – I'm, in my heart, I'm a Long Island boy, and, and so when I got the opportunity to come on here, man, I was excited.
2: Well, I will tell all your family out there, if they're not hearing it and they're not seeing the video feed, don't you worry. We are going to cut out the audio, and you guys are going to hear this interview. Uh, Like I said, if they they don't hear us, they can download the app. All they have to do, if they have iOS or they have Android, all you have to do on on iOS is go to WWSRN or Android. You can go to Worldwide Sports Radio Network, download the app, and just hit the play button on the bottom. Um, for the audio, and you can hear the interview. But we don't worry, Alex, your family's going to hear this interview. So don't you worry, my friend. We will make sure that everybody hears this interview.
1: Good. Good. I just <laughs> shot him a text. So hopefully
2: uh, he's. <laughs> He's on top
1: of his <laughs> skills. There uh, you go. just text me. Okay, trying to get on. Go figure
2: it out. There we go. We are talking to James Madison Baseball Assistant Head Coach and Recruiting Coordinator Alex Guerra. Uh,
3: Alex, in terms of the start of this season and even going into the last season, one of the pitchers that was most impressive was Justin Showalter, a .67 ERA that he had in the four starts this season at a 3.72 last year, good amount of strikeouts. What impressed you most about, what impresses you most about his pitching style and his performance that you've seen? Well,
1: Justin is a, he's a right-handed pitcher. He can run the ball from you know high 80s to low 90s. He's got tremendous arm side run and sink. He throws a very heavy ball. It's almost like he in baseball terminology, it's like he's throwing bowling balls up there. Like You, you can never really square him up. He's got late, hard action. Um, it makes it very, very difficult for right-hand hitters when he's running that two-seamer down and in um, underneath your hands. Um, and Then he's got a, a plus-plus slider that's going to slide away from righties into the back foot of a lefty. So you are basically got a tunnel of two pitches, one going one way, at about ninety to ninety-two, and the other ones going the other way, you know, from low to sometimes mid-eighties. And um, he's he's got tremendous stuff. But I think the biggest thing with Justin, and he always had he always had stuff to go um, when he got on the mound. But the biggest thing with him, and you see with most kids, is when he became an upperclassman. You know, this year, his maturity his presence on the mound uh, was something that was really stood out for our entire team. Um, He pounds his own. um, He's confident. He's very quiet. But when he's on the mound, man, he's got a complete, completely different aura about him. Um, And that goes to um, a lot of the credit goes to Jimmy, our pitching coach who does a tremendous job with our pitchers um, and just preparing them. But but Justin is – Hopefully, uh, we get him back uh, for our sake. Me being uh, a selfish coach a little bit, but in, in for his, he has the opportunity to get drafted. You know, in the next next couple of days and, and play professional baseball, we're going to be so so excited for him. He's a local kid, uh, went to Turner Ashby High School right up the road, uh, so he's he's living the the small town uh, dream right now. You know, he, he's, he's the man at at the local uh, you know, university. And, uh, actually, his grandfather was uh, the head coach here for four years. As assistant here, interesting back in the back in the eighties as well. So uh, there's a lot of history and, and family ties. His parents both went to JMU. So uh, Justin's the the big man around town around here. But uh, you know, he, he really took a huge step forward, and he did what upperclassmen are supposed to do. When you're an upperclassman, your your job is to produce, and step up, and 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 lead the way for younger guys. and He definitely did that for sure.
2: Now, Alex, it says you're the recruiting coordinator, and I ask this to a lot of coaches because when you go into a home and you're trying to recruit a player and you're trying to sell your school and sell your program, how do you go upon doing that?
1: Well, it's a little bit different, first off. It's a little bit different than football. Um, Recruiting happens so much earlier in and football. And, and a lot of times, you know, we don't do like the official visits and wine and dine, and then they sit in front of the, the, the TV and they pick the hat. Like a, that culture of recruiting is not really, that's more basketball and football. So a lot of times it's, you know, you're having dialogue with these kids when they're you know, freshman and sophomore year or their high school. Um, but as a recruiting coordinator for me, um, we all, first of all, our entire staff groups, um, I joke about it all the time. My title of recruiting coordinator is you know, I, I'm designated to do all the paperwork um, <laughs> that nobody else wants to do. Of like course. Jimmy, if, if there's an issue that Jimmy really, really likes, um, you know, I pass off the name to him, he starts communicating with him. And vice versa with a hitter, and then the both of us kind of filter those names and the guys that we, we want to offer and get on campus to, to coach Iker, head coach. And, and in addition to, to coach Bowman as well, who's constantly the, uh, working camps. I wish he, he was able to recruit, but unfortunately with the NCAA, we only allow three coaches on the road, but he's a vital part of our recruiting as well. And, um, but as far as selling JMU, JMU sells itself. Um, it, it's It's one of the best campuses in the Mid-Atlantic, number one. Um, the campus is beautiful uh, it's a perfect size about 20,000 students it's very easy to get around campus um, it, it's very modern but it's also got that old feel to it. it's like the quad JMU originally back in the early 1900s was, was a women's school it was, it was mainly for women who wanted to become teachers so that quad the main um, you know bluestone on campus is all original and then over the years they've grown and you can kind of see within the buildings the growth that, uh, that they've had on campus. Um, as far as getting education, any major you could possibly think of, you know, we have our athletic, all of our athletic programs win. Our facilities are top-notch. Um, you know, our, our baseball field, we just had a complete brand-new uh, turf done to our field. Uh, We've had our indoor remodeled with cages. We can do that. We will never miss a beat. Uh, We've got our own locker room, our own weight room, our own training room, equipment room. And we have – our support staff are specific to baseball. So you've got full-time athletic trainer, full-time equipment manager, full-time strength coach, full-time academic advisor. And that doesn't happen at the mid-major level. So, I mean, we're very fortunate to have an administration that supports us um, you know, our athletic director, Mr. Bourne, and, and our associate athletic director, Mr. White, I mean, they they do a tremendous job in, in, in allowing us to um, give us as many resources as possible. And in addition to that, I mean, our, our alumni base and, and the, the players that have played here they they, they support us tremendously. So it's a full, you really have a, a big time family feel here as far as the support goes, and and, and that's a big part of what we saw to our our recruits as well. You come here, you're going to be part of a family. Um, you're not just going to be part of a team. Um, and, and we're going to make sure that you are getting a quality education, that you're maximizing your potential on the field. Um, and you leave here a better person, for sure. And, and it's something that we take a lot of pride in and we try to do over the last, uh, going on our sixth year together as a staff.
2: We are talking to James Madison Baseball Assistant Head Coach and Recruiting Coordinator, Alex Guerra. In terms of the recruiting strategy with dealing with the MLB draft
3: in particular, especially this year with its five rounds, but even just in general, when it's even more than that, I think 37 to be exact, what is your strategy when it comes to that, especially being a not a Power 5 team where, again, you want to try to let these kids play out three or four years. Does that affect the method of the way you recruit?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, no, it doesn't. And people ask all the time, well, for example, like with this, with the COVID stuff that's going on, you know, how is it going to affect recruiting? How is it going to affect roster? And at the end of the day, um, it, if there's a player that can help you get and win, then we're going to try and get them. Like it's, it, there's no reason for us to not try and get somebody that's going to help our team. Now, if you have limited spots, then you're going to be picky on that player and, and that person, and the family, everything that goes involved into it. Um, but you know, the draft at the mid-major level sometimes is very hard to predict. You know, we've had t- over the last couple of years, we've had, especially from a position player standpoint, we've had some guys that we thought were going to get picked.
2: We lost you. We we lost you there, Alex. <laughs> you there, Alex? Can you hear me? There, you yeah. are. I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't know what the heck. <laughs> it looked like you were You're swimming. Right it, it it sounded like you were swimming underwater. <laughs>
1: sorry. You know these damn these damn AirPods. Sometimes they kind of get me off. Oh,
2: it's all right. right. But we're used to it. Where,
1: where did I leave off?
3: You were um, saying about something about position players.
1: Oh, okay. The last couple of years, we've got some position players that we thought were going to get picked, and it just it just didn't work out. So um, it's not a, a lot of times at the mid-major level, you're not going to get – he's definitely going to get drafted. He's definitely not coming back. And a lot of times at the power five levels, you know going into the year, like, this kid's going to be a first-rounder. This kid ain't coming back. This kid's going in this round. You have a better idea, and you just have a better feel for it. You know, at the end of the day, our job as assistant coaches is to bring the best players possible for the head coach to make the final decision. And as a, for me as the, you know, quote-unquote recruiting coordinator, that's my job. You know, my job is for my boss to look at me and go, hey, man, like enough, like we're done. And if he tells me that, like that's – then I know I'm doing, I'm doing my part in, in trying to make our program – as best as we can. But if you think that like a kid that's up our up the road or a state that's throwing the ball 90 miles an hour and he wants to damn you and he's really good and we're gonna look at him and go, oh sorry man, we don't have a spot for you. Like that's how you that's how you lose your job. So I I'd rather for us to um, add as many good players as we can and kind of you know, figure some things out after after the fact. In addition, I'm also proud to say that we've never been part of a situation where we've over-recruited and we've had to go to a kid prior to him signing his natural letter of intent and saying sorry but we don't have room for you we don't have a spot for you we over-recruited or oh you're not good enough like our commitment to the to the family and to the to the kid is very very solid it's ironclad we expect that in return And and I'm fortunate in the Nine years I've been a part of college baseball as a coach, I've never been a part of a situation where we've had to call a kid in the family and say, sorry, but we're not honoring your commitment, or vice versa. Do they always work out ability-wise? No. I mean, it's, I'm not that good at I'm not that. I'm not that good. At, and any <laughs> scout coach that says that, they're lying. Trust me, because everybody makes mistakes from an evaluation standpoint. But I can tell you that uh, when we commit a kid, he's, that commitment is strong for sure.
2: Alex, there are a lot of good teams in the nation. We, we saw Michigan win. Stony Brook went to the World Series a couple of years ago. There's so many good teams around the country. Why should – and I, I ask you this, and I've asked a lot of coaches this. What makes James Madison different from all the big-time schools? What, what draws people to go to James Madison? Obviously, the facility and everything like that. But if I was a player right now, and I was standing right there, and I say, listen, Alex, it, I, I've looked at Michigan. I've looked at Stony Brook. I've looked at Hostra, whatever, all the top um, college baseball organizations. Why should I go to James Madison? If you were to sell me right now, what would it be?
1: Well, I think number one, it's, it's, it's a, it's a twofold question there because
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're, you're talking about, it's tough for us to compare to a school, like a mission mm-hmm. school, like a power five school, because at the end of the day, like let's not lie and, and BS each other. Those Power Five schools have have things that we just flat out cannot offer. Number one, you're playing a Power Five conference. Number two, you might have some more some more fluff, you know, some more um, resources that we that we may not have. What I will say about JMU is, in my opinion, I've, I've had the opportunity to work at two other schools. I worked at University of Central Florida, and I worked at Radford, and both were programs where we were at a very high level. I can tell you that JMU is the total package as far as everything that you're getting, campus size, the quality education, the campus atmosphere, social life, um, and the athletic culture that our entire, all of our programs have of winning and doing things the right way. And then specifically within our baseball program, I mean, we have everything that you could possibly ask for within our meetings. I mean, we have technology on on the development side, on our field, in our cages, on our computer to make our player put our players in the best possible position to be successful. When it comes to traveling on the road, you know, everybody's eats like better than you would in the minor leagues. Um, <laughs> you're staying in nice hotels than you would in the minor leagues. Um, and the support that we have, our support staff is tremendous. Like I said earlier, like to have at the mid-major level four people that work with your with your baseball program only and do not share with anybody else. That's a that's a huge resource. If our guys need to get treatment around their class schedule at ten o'clock in the morning. Right. John, our trainer, is in there ready to go for them. If they need to schedule a lift at a different time because of their schedule or strength coach Robbie is, is there for them. If they need a piece of equipment, Pete's there for them all, all day long. Um, and, and it's – I think those are the things that are – that really matter, the people that are coaching you, the people that are supporting you, and and, and the tools that you have to, to make you the best player and student. And, and we have all, all those things.
2: Alex, you sold me. So where's my scholarship? Yes. You sold me. I'm an outfielder. I'm thirty eight years old. I've got an athletic ability. I've got a lot of power. You want you wanna draft me over there? You wanna bring me over there? You got it. The only
1: thing is that we just don't have we don't have any more scholarships. I'm still in after that because a lot of times once you get that conversation, everybody goes, Oh, well, I know. If you really like me, then you'd pay me, which I can't blame them so
2: We are talking to James Madison, baseball assistant head coach and recruiting uh, coordinator, Alex Guerra.
3: In terms of the transfer portal that we've seen in a lot of other college sports, especially with basketball, both men's and women's after the hiatus of their particular seasons, there's now a transfer portal rule that grants instant eligibility. You don't have to sit out a year like you normally did in the past. What are your thoughts to that? do you think it would be a good change for baseball if they went forward with it? Cause I think they have a, a, something next year where they can go forward with that in the 2021 season. Are you in favor of that? Or would you want it to stick to where you have to sit out a year? Oh man. It's a load of question. Right there. You're asking the tough one tonight.
2: Well, you know what it is. It, it, his nickname is Speedy Petey. So that's why he, he makes sure he gets a lot of words out in He's his question. Yeah, he is. Great question.
1: It's a great question. <laughs> Uh, I think it should go based on based on the individual. I think if, and somewhat already this way, if you're on scholarship or if you're not on scholarship and you are asked to lead the program because you are not good enough, which happens the majority of the time, you should have instant eligibility. You should not be punished because the coaching staff made a mistake and brought you in when you were not good enough to be at that that place. If you are an All-American at JMU and you want to go get free agent and go to LSU or West Virginia because those schools happen to not do their job and recruit you, then I'm completely against it because I don't want to have to recruit our players every year and have it like basketball where they're
0: sitting in a room
1: and you're and you're doing a PowerPoint to recruit your players so that they don't leave. I don't. I, I have no interest in doing that. However, if the kid is being punished, coach a coaching change. Um, I don't want to say punished, but if the kid is put in situation, if, if it's not in the best interest of the student athlete for them to um, pursue other things because the the coach is no longer giving them that opportunity, they should be able to play right away. But I just don't, I don't think it should become free agency where you have a really good year and then all of a sudden you're you're exploring your options. It's not fair. I just don't think it would be fair to us as a coaching staff that in my opinion, does things the right way and recruits to what we need, not over-recruit. And now you're sitting here and we're going to be running around in summer ball leagues um, trying to steal our, other people's players. Like, that's not what college athletics is all about, in my opinion. And I'll be honest, like, if that... Like, if somebody were would, would try to do that, and, like, I'm going to be very upset. If somebody were trying to steal our best player after his freshman year, like you, you're going to get in some uncomfortable situations on the road. <laughs> People are going to be saying things, and uh, who knows what could happen? You have them. You got to you got to think about it like this too. Like, think if you're at a power five school, a lower power five school, and you got a bunch of kids on that team that are doing really well.
2: Oh, we 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 lost Alex there, guys. We're going to call him back up. It was an accident. <laughs> You there? That was that was our fault, Alex. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's all right. I'm sorry.
1: You got a you know you got a bunch of guys at a lower level, you know, mid mid, or power five school that are having some really good, having really good years, and now they want to go and and be a part of a blue blood, top tier, going to the College World Series every year program. Like those guys at the power five school, they get fired because now they don't have good enough players. You know, so it, it, it's it's a tricky and touchy subject because then, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, then the the follow up is, well, a coach can then go from, you know, a mid major to power five school. I agree with that. I, I understand that part of it. That's why a kid should get a fresh start if that coaching change happens. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to coaching, it's also a profession. It's also an occupation, and if a coach has an opportunity to better his family because he's going to be making more money and he's in a better situation than what he is. Then that's between the coach and his family, um, and it's a really tricky thing because if you if you open this up, it's going to become. You look at it like football, and basketball. It's like free agency, and, and it's just I don't know. I think it's fortunately in baseball we don't have that culture of of. Of it just yet, but man, I, I that would be my stance on it. You know, for for right now, unless somebody unless this goes in and, and it can somehow work, but that's my opinion on the situation.
2: We are talking to James Madison Baseball head coach and recruiting coordinator, Alex Guerra. Alex, I want to get into some MLB conversation. I know you are a baseball player, slash coach, slash everything. And as you look at the Houston Astros, and I've asked every single baseball coach we have spoken to in the last three weeks, and we've had Coach Week practically. We're talking about Power 5 schools. We've talked to so many baseball coaches. I want to know your input. When when you look at the Houston Astros, you look at the MLB, you look at Rob Manford, and I'll tell you, Rob Manford has really cost himself uh, a big argument, not only uh, for fans, but for some of the owners. Do you think they were right not fining or suspending some of the players after this whole situation with the cheating uh, that the Astros performed in 2017,
1: 2018, and 2019? I think if they suspended the players, they would have suspended the entire Astros organization. (laughs) You know, so it's, in my opinion, I think that the way that, the only way for them to get the truth about what actually happened was for them to give the players immunity because the union is not was not going to allow any player to go in there on their heels and like in my opinion the players union protected the players and they did a great job with it um and i think rob manford had, he had a he had to make a decision and he had to decide, you know, are, are we going to get half the truth and then I'm going to have to go in there and then I'm going to have to spend players and coaches and GMs and what I think might happen or what I, what I thought happened? Or do, do I want to get the truth, make a harsh statement to the people that were in charge and leading and saying, this is what you can or cannot do. And it's almost like the players were were for the kids and the children and the manager and the GM are the parents. Well, if the parents let the children run amok and do whatever, like is it really their fault? Like not not for anything. If I'm out if I'm Jose Altuve and I'm facing a Rawless Chat- Chapman, the bottom of the ninth inning, with the opportunity to go to the World Series, and somebody's gonna buzz me in and tell me when he's gonna throw a slider and i'm not going to get caught for i haven't been caught just yet and nothing, everything's cool like I have a tough time saying no in that situation
2: <laughs> so i mean
1: i that's just me being brutally honest i got you i'm not saying i'm not saying it's right wrong or indifferent. right but they made a decision and the people that were in charge of allowing it to happen were the people that in my opinion should have been punished the players they're going to have to live with the fact that they cheated the game and um, they're going to have to live with that stain on them for the rest of their career. Oh, I was a World Series champion, but. Oh, I won the MVP, but. And they're going to have to live with that pressure and, and every anybody speaks of Jose Altuve, Alex Perry, and Carlos Carrera, They're always going to follow that up with, oh, yeah, he was the cheater. He, he was part of the, the Astros cheating scandal. So I think that might be a little bit more difficult for them to deal with than them just being suspended and them doing their time and and uh, coming back and everybody you know kind of feeling sorry they're, they're gonna have to wear it for the rest of their career to, that they cheated but I also think in fairness this is this has been going on in baseball forever of course they just got caught mm-hmm. because they're I mean in my opinion the way they did it they're just
2: Stupid. They're too much shit. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you could say banging on garbage pails in the dugout. They're yeah, stupid. It was just too obvious.
1: <laughs> it got to a point, point where it was just really it was just too obvious, and eventually somebody was going to speak up about it, and, and that's what happened. But even if you look into it, the, the Astros had like a, a video tribute at the end of the year, and, and you could see, you know, the guys running through the tunnel, and they're videoing, and they're all fired up after they won. I don't remember what playoff game it was, and you see the TV there, and you see the 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 garbage can, you see the table, you see somebody sitting there spitting seeds for nine innings. Like, clean that up. Maybe hide it up a little bit better. I, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying it's they deserve to get caught, and the people that got punished, I think I, I think that they deserved the punishment that they got.
3: So, last question for me. If you were a manager in that situation where you felt like another team was doing something like that trying to steal signs electronically or like your like we've been saying with the trash cans signals like that how would you try to adjust to that on your team in terms of the way to give signs or even not even giving signs at all
1: Well I think you'd have to you'd have to create some type of system where it's it, it changes every every single pitch. You have to do multiple signs with nobody on base. You probably have to go to three or four signs with nobody on base. Touch signs, night signs, dummy signs. Um, you know you're going to have to create some type of system with guys on base. You know chasing twos, chasing threes, chasing horns, first, last, third sign, uh, second sign after strike, strikes plus one.
3: Seems like a lot of work. Ones,
1: whatever it may be. <laughs> I I throwing throw kinds of different stuff on there, but like, that's where I mean, you'd have to have some type of system like and it's got to change almost every inning to the point where nobody could figure it out. And then if it's a long batter, like let's say it's 10, 12 pitches, like after after the 6th pitch you go to a different system. You know, that just be like a normal routine thing so like let's say there's nobody on base and you're doing three signs and it's and it's chasing twos it's the first sign after i give it two All right so i go one two three so it'd be change up you know and then i go um two one fastball. like after the sixth pitch do it to the first time or the last sign so or chasing ones or chasing threes you know or go to body touches it's a lot, but at the end of the day, if you know if you know a team is doing something like that, that's the only way to prevent it. Be, that's what I would say.
2: We are talking to James Madison Baseball Assistant Head Coach and Recruiting Coordinator Alex Guerra. Last question for me, Alex. The MLB is trying to speed up the game, and they decide, well, they're right now working on or possibly deciding on using electronic umpires behind the plate. And I've asked a lot of managers and a lot of coaches, uh, in professional baseball and college baseball. Do you like this? Do you think that changing the game and taking away umpires behind the plate is going to help the game? If, if you were in the MLB, would you accept this as a manager?
1: No, I hate it. It's terrible. It, It would be horrible. First of all, I've seen it in in the independent leagues, and some of the umpires that do our games are pro umpires, and they do, I think, I forget what league it was in, they were doing a little but you got balls that are bouncing in front of home, like on, on top of home plate that are being called strikes, and it takes away from the purity of the game. Part of baseball is the human element of an umpire behind the plate making a split second decision. And part of baseball is an umpire and a and a manager arguing. That's part like think about if they had electronic umpires, nobody would be able to watch Bobby Cox get thrown out of a game at Shea Stadium. Or nobody would be able to watch Earl Weaver or Billy Martin get thrown out of a baseball game. Like that's entertainment. People come to Watch that part of the game, and as a player as well, you know when your head coach or your manager is fighting for you and arguing like that fires you up you he's got your back and you go to a computer system it's like first of all it's not an equivalent to a strike zone i think I think big league umpires today are are unbelievable. I think they're I think they're absolutely outstanding. You look back at what back when Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox and those guys pitched, like yeah, those guys suck. <laughs> I mean, if you mean, want to know why Tom Glavin and, and Greg Maddox, they're, they're very good. But when you're getting seven to ten inches off the plate, and you're throw and you're, you're eighty six, eighty eight, like no, I, I, <laughs> that's not a strike. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> You have but to be a Mets fan. I'm telling, I, am a Mets fan. I know it. I know it's very it. good. I'm a Mets fan. I am a
1: Mets fan, but I, you know, it, it's. I think people want to criticize baseball in today's game, and like, how can we make it better? How can we? How can we speed it up? Right, because everybody is like the attention span of today's society is non-existent. Every single night, when I was growing up, my dad would come home from work. We would have dinner as a family, and if it was a spring, summer, like we're watching a ball game, we're watching Netflix, we're watching Amazon Prime. We're not watching some <laughs> rinky-dink TV show. Like I'm watching a baseball game with my dad, and we're learning about the game, and, and you're listening, and the game's for three, four hours, mm-hmm. but you're watching a baseball game, and that's how I learned. The game, and, and that's how I became better. Like that's where today's player, like they, they want the instant uh, reward and the, the the instant answer and and the instant gratification, whether it be on Twitter for social media or just like going and watching one highlight, and they miss the little nuances of baseball. When you try and speed the game up, you're going to miss out on those little nuances of baseball, and the umpire. It's a part of the game is behind the plate is huge. But these guys, see, people in here understand, like, today's player is so advanced.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You got guys throwing the ball in the low to upper 90s consistently. You've got guys with power breaking stuff. you got guys coming out of the bullpen throwing 100 miles an hour. you got guys like Mike Trout that. <laughs>
2: It's unbelievable,
1: I and mean, they're unbelievable. These <laughs> players are unbelievable. What they're able to do, the numbers that they put up, the, the the ability, the athleticism. Like today's player is just ridiculous. Enjoy that. I think baseball is, from an ability standpoint, and and the way the game is. I think it's at its it's at its peak. With with the way the game is going on, yeah. I mean. For some old school fans, like guys, you know, staring at their home runs, um, guys not running as hard all the time. Am I against that? Yeah. I mean, it's not the way I play or it's not the way I was taught how to play the game. But at the end of the day, the ability from an entertainment standpoint, it's at the highest level. And and sometimes with umpires, man, like they may miss a call like an inch off the plate. My response to the people that are complaining they miss those calls. I mean you get behind the plate and you call it and make a second decision of Garrett Cole on the mound, right? He's throwing the ball. Ninety five to ninety eight, four pitch mix, both sides of the plate, two seamers, four seamers, sliders, changeups, breaking balls. You don't really know where it's coming. You might miss a spot, boom, you call it a ball and it's a quarter of an inch off the plate. Like that's a pretty it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> now if you're calling them the other batter's box it's a different story but these guys don't do that i mean it's even sometimes the guys uh, the players when they complain it's like just you know just shut up like it, it it's sometimes it's 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 tough back here but right. i i'm completely to answer your question and shortly i'm completely against the, the computerized umpire i think that would destroy our game
2: well i i agree with you and i think uh baseball needs to figure out a way where I know they want to speed up the game. If you want to speed up the game, and I've said this over and over again, and I'm going to say it again to you, Alex, they need to start getting the batters in the box and stop letting them get out of the box, play with their gloves, smell their bat. I mean, how many times do we see that when it, when it takes forever?
1: I I hear, yeah, I hear what you're saying on that too. But at the same time, so much of baseball now is mental and routines and, Having a plan and part of a mental their mental routine for a player may be stepping out, adjusting his batting gloves, looking at his pintle. It might be a 10 to 15 second type of thing. And to be honest, if I'm a professional baseball player and I'm getting paid millions of dollars and this is my my livelihood and I'm trying to survive in the big leagues, like I'm not going to listen to an umpire telling me to get in the box if when I'm when I'm trying to hit and perform in front of 60,000 people. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going on the side of today's player, but I'm just not going to do that. Um, and, and the way to speed it up would be to you put a timer in between innings. Right. I think that's the first thing. There's no reason why you can't get on and off the field in 90 seconds. Now, commercials and advertising, is that going to affect it? I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that thing out. <laughs> but I'm sure there's got to be some type of time frame a commercial break and I can't imagine it being more than a minute and a half to two minutes, but some type of of break to where you know we're on and off the field in in ninety seconds and and that's what we do in college. Right. You know, we have ninety seconds and then twenty seconds in between pitch with with nobody on base. Um and our games have gotten sped up really I mean they're they're much better. They're much better. And and um, I, I don't I think there's this big rush to speed up the game at the major league level, and I just I, I don't see it. I mean, I think part of it is like a, I think the big part of it is that people just don't have the attention span to sit down and do the same thing for three hours and not move. Like what's gonna happen when we when, when we cut the game down to two hours and fifteen minutes? They're gonna oh, it's still too. it's It's still too slow. Like well, then don't watch the game.
4: That's that'd be my answer.
2: To me, and I'll say this before we let you go, I think it's more exciting to watch the rules and the game in college sports than it is professional sports. When I watch the NFL, I'd rather watch college football because I think the game is – everybody says the NFL is faster, but when you watch college football – to me because of the way they play they they throw the ball they air the ball out in the NFL they're running and hitting and running and running and running and running it, it's not like that in college uh, football they're they're spreading out the offense and they're throwing the ball down the field which to me is more exciting and all you have to do is get one foot yeah. foot in in line for for it to be a touchdown in the NFL you have to have two feet down in baseball there's different rules in college than there is in the MLB like you were saying i think that The MLB and the NFL and the NBA and the NHL need to look at college sports and see the game the way it is played and try to implement it into the professional game.
1: I would I agree with that 100%. I think if somebody came to a college baseball game and watched two really good programs play a quality weekend series and you watch the tempo of the game on and off the field, I think that's a really good model to go off of. Again, you're going back to now players having to implement that. Like, is a guy that's played in the big leagues for 15 years, who's 38 years old, and his body hurts, and he doesn't want to waste it by having a stiff jog out to right field (laughs) and doing that 18 times a, a night times 162 games. He might look at you and go, Hey man, like I'm gonna take my damn time going out to the alpha because I'm not wasting it on a seventy-five percent stride out to the field. And to be honest with you, that's when I realized that these guys are really, really tough. And I played with uh played against a kid in college, his name was Tommy Listella. My dad's listening right now, He's his favorite hitter that he ever <laughs> ever watched play, he, he loves Tommy Listella. I don't know because he's a left-handed hitting. the top. I know Tommy. From the Northeast.
2: Mm-hmm. That's hmm That be
1: part of year. it. But he told uh, our other assistant, Coach Bum, who we played with at Coastal, he's like, man, like, you're in the first-base dugout. I'm playing third. He's like, I'm running out, out to the field. I'm running back in. He's like, I'm playing second base, for the in the third base. I got. I'm running all the way out there, all the way back in. And I'm doing that 18 times a night. He's like, you may not think it, man, but think about doing 20 sprints, you know, 20 50 yards sprints every night. Like that's that wears down your body a little of bit. Of course. So, like, if you're gonna walk out to the field, or take or maybe take a little bit of a slower walk, like it's not because they're not hustling or they're not playing hard. It's like and you just got off of a cross-country road trip. Now you got to go like save your body. And that's when I kind of was started to realize, like, okay, I understand why when Manny Machado hits a ground ball back to the pitcher, he's not going to sprint because he's out. You're not, you're not, it's fake hustle at that point. Like, I'm going to save my body. I'm not going to rip a hamstring running down the line so that people yell at me for not playing hard like that.
2: I got a I got a player that plays on the Mets right now and and used to play for the Yankees that a lot of fans have taken shots at uh, for not hustling and his name is Robertson Cano which to me I think it's absolutely mm-hmm. appalling when as a Yankee fan well, he was the best player on the Yankees for what 5 years and mm-hmm. Yankee fans just attacked him, attacked him, attacked him. Oh, he doesn't hustle. He doesn't. Oh, but by the way, he's only batting 320 as a second baseman, and hits 38 home runs, and gives about 100 RBIs. He was a power second baseman before power second basemen were popular. I just think right. it's absolutely right? ridiculous to talk about a player that doesn't hustle. But Bryce Harper, he hustles, <laughs> and players say that he doesn't hustle enough. I just I think right. it's crazy.
1: Right. Or, or people will hustle and then they'll, and then they'll say he's fake hustling. Mm-hmm. So it, it's at the end of the day, you're going to play the way you were, you were taught how to play. Um, like the other part of it is, is, you know, the culture of, of where you're, of how you grew up playing the game. Like, you know, Robinson Cano grew up playing in, in, in Latin America, yep. like, Dominican Republic. Yep. In, in the Dominican Republic. Exactly. So like, when it's time to, for him to run hard, he's gonna run hard. But he was probably taught like, if you a ground ball to second base, you're out. Don't kill yourself. You know, the Yankees are paying Robinson Cano, or the Mets are paying Robinson Cano, hitting a three hole, and like you said, hit 320 and hit 40 home runs. Well, if you hit a ground ball to the second base enough, and you bust your and you're busting your ass down the line and you rip your hamstring, well, how are you supposed to? Uh, produce like sometimes there's there's got to be some give and take and i think sometimes that's where the understanding of of the player and the day-to-day grind that it is of playing professional baseball you know with the travel and 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 just the the mental grind and, and the physical grind that it has on your body listen you hit a single and he bobbles it and you're barely at first base like that's on you like that's not playing hard but if you hit a ground ball to short and you have a stiff jog down the line, you, you know, to me that's not – at the major league level, to me I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. But I could also be a little bit more new school than other people, so no. I don't want to offend anybody. I, 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 I
2: don't think you're offending anybody. I think a lot of people would agree with you, especially the way the game has gone. And, and, and My
1: question to you is as a fan, right, <laughs> do you want to watch Pete Alonso play first base? Or do you want to watch their AAA? I don't even know who their AAA first baseman is. Come up and 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 play first base because because Pete tried to bust out an infield single. <laughs> no, I'd rather watch Pete Alonzo try to hit the
2: ball. I, I I will tell it's you this: Bronx. I've never seen, and I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan. I have never seen Pete Alonzo not hustle. So uh, I think he right, is he,
1: correct. I'm just I was just no, I got that you. An I got you. I think the ability wise. You know, and I think that's where people need to, at the end of the day, like professional sports, it's, it, it's entertainment. right? And, you know, I, I think that's, and a lot of times organizations are probably telling me, you know, they're, they're huge actors. A lot of times these managers are telling guys like Robinson, kind of like, hey, man, you got to ground with a short? Like, you're, you're out. Don't I don't need you to be ripping your hamstring and running down the line. Like, just jog and you'll, you'll
2: be fine. Girardi took a, a lot of slack from Robinson Cano the first year he was there. Girardi took a lot of slack for, for the fans, and, and Girardi took all the blame that Robinson Cano was not hustling. And if you remember, and I've, I remember this like it was yesterday, Joe Girardi was being pressed by the press to uh, attack or speak to – and this is the same thing with Gary Sanchez right now. He doesn't hustle. He doesn't what? do this. He doesn't block the ball. He didn't do this. But – Tell me a catcher that is in the major leagues right now that can do the things that um, Sanchez could do behind the plate. And there's only one guy, and you know who he is. And he plays for Philadelphia. So uh, there's only one player that can do with what Gary Sanchez can do, but the fans are not happy with it. That's Yankee fans. They're spoiled (laughs) fans. I'll be the first person to say that. So I, I understand. But hustling... Hustling is in the mind. If you're, if you're, well, a hu- yeah, God.
1: You're, you're right. No, you're 100% right. Now, what I will also say is this. I say this because we're all passionate New York <laughs> sports fans, right? So, New York people want the players that they're rooting for to represent them and how they go about their business. You know, the, the tough blue collar, like all out, mentality <clears throat> and if you're a lazy player, New York, like you're gonna get chewed up and spit out and thrown away. And I'm gonna throw a name at you. Do you remember Joe McEwing?
2: Of course. Mm-hmm. Joe
1: McEwing's got as much talent as Pinky <laughs> as or his whole body, like you can't compare to Mike Shot's Pinky. <laughs> but Joe McEwing, if he showed up to a Mets event like Back from, from my generation and, and, and older, they we go crazy for him because of the way he played the game. He played every single position on the field, play hard, he was tough. He represented New York in the right way, and I think that's where people get frustrated when they see these guys making all these millions of dollars and they think they're content. Sometimes that's not the case, and that's where you got to have a little bit of slack and, and understand, like it, maybe he's being told to do to play a certain way.
2: As you guys know, we are talking, and we have been talking, to James Madison baseball assistant head coach and recruiting coordinator Alex Guerra and Long Island native from Wata. By the way, shout out to his parents. I I know they're listening to. Dad, mom, sisters, brothers, thank you for listening to this show. And, uh, Alex, you were great. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media.
1: Yes, so we got, uh, I got my Twitter, AGBaseball9. Um, my Instagram is alex__guero9, and that's that's really
2: it. Alex, yeah. we we want you, when we get off the phone with you, we want you to text us at this number your email address so we can get you the audio. We're going to make something video so we can put it on your Twitter so all the fans can hear the interview. You gave us some good insight, not only with uh, James Madison Baseball, your recruiting but really, your family life and, and baseball as a whole, we really appreciate you joining us. And that uh, we were talking to Lauren. Um, we were talking. I'm sorry, we were talking to Lauren. And Lauren, uh, I spoke to Lauren. We have gone down to Virginia. Uh, we do play-by-play, and we, we do so much stuff. We do interviews all around the country. If we ever do go down to Virginia when the season starts, we would love to come down, interview your, your team, interview some of the coaches in your facility. We would love to check out your new facility.
1: Absolutely, we'd love to have you guys. You guys are welcome here anytime. I appreciate uh, you know you putting JMU and our baseball program, you know, in the spotlight for for a little bit. And uh, it's it's a pleasure being on here, and it's always good to talk to people from back home.
2: Absolutely, and you uh, want so to know thanks something? Thanks, guys,
1: for everything you do. Appreciate and you want
2: and you want to know something? In the long run, my friend, we would absolutely love when you come to out here, you come and visit your family, to come and do a live show with us. We would love. I would love that. Yeah.
1: I'd love to do that. You got it. That's no problem. I'll, uh, I'm going to hold you to that. I'll oh, be up here in the next month. So
2: man, I'll, I'll tell that. you, okay. I'll tell you right now. We have no problems getting you into the studio and, and talking a little baseball and sports with you.
1: Awesome. Thanks guys. I appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Alex Guerra, ladies and gentlemen, great interview. I, I loved it. I, it mm-hmm. To me, he gave us some good insight. The fact that he's a Long Islander, by the way, he's got a Virginia accent. He mm-hmm. does. So he's been there a little too long, Dad. (laughs) Before we go, and we're not going to any break, I do want to speak about, and I will get more into this on Thursday, there is something that bothers me about professional sports. And the players run professional sports right now. And LeBron James and company in the NBA, to be exact, in the sports world, and I'm not even talking about the NFL or the MLB, Because we all know there are players that like to stand up and speak for the players, and there are some players that like to keep it quiet. The NBA has bothered me for the last 15 years, okay? And what bothers me about the NBA more than anything is you got players like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, who just retired, Chris Paul. They have so much input or what's going on in the sports world, that you forget they're not the owners of the organization. They're not the fans that pay them their salaries. And they're not the NBA PA, and they're not ownership, okay? And LeBron James, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and I, I, I like LeBron James. I think he's a great talent. He's one of the greatest NBA players we've seen, definitely I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, I mean, Michael Jordan's the greatest, but... Um, this man has not only ruined the game of basketball, okay, he has, he has completely opened his mouth more than once that affects not only the game, but it affects the players for playing the game. And this is a guy that has completely ruined the sport, and you know this more than anything, Speedy, when he has put... You, you, now you, you look at the game, you need three superstars. He's the one that really transferred the game to, to what he wants the game to be. Now teams are looking for three superstars instead of having one great player, one good player, and a bunch of good players coming off the bench. And I think he's ruined the game. I think he's affected the game. And now the league and Adam Silver, who is the greatest commissioner in professional sports, is trying to figure out a way where the salary cap is not going to allow three superstars on a team. You look at the Golden State Warriors. Why were the Golden State Warriors so dominant for the three championships? Well, the answer is because they had Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Klay uh, Thompson, Draymond Green. Obviously, they didn't have Kevin Durant for one of the championships, but they had him for two of them. Okay. To me, the game and, and the players have affected the game and ruined the game, ruined the game of the NBA. And now you going into the NBA playoffs, you already know probably who's going to be in the NBA Finals in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. And the reason why is because the game is practically put on a platter for the players. LeBron James wanted Anthony Davis. Everybody said Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was not traded by the Pelicans. The Pelicans fired their GM, after they, he decided not to trade him because he thought that the Pelicans were getting ripped off with the Anthony Davis move. And then what happens? LeBron James got what he wanted anyways in the offseason. He got Anthony Davis. The, he runs the sport. The players run the sport. When Michael Jordan played, guys, and, and this, to me, affects the game. When Michael Jordan played the game, Michael Jordan didn't do that. You're talking about a guy that had the Jordan rules. We talked about this with the Grizzlies uh, play-by-play guy. Michael Jordan didn't even have to do that. And you have LeBron James ruining the game of basketball. And he's got a lot to say about everything. And I'm not even going to get into what he has been saying (laughs) about the George Floyd thing. It's despicable. And the NBA needs to step out in public, Adam Silver, I don't care how popular LeBron James is or Chris Paul or any of their superstars, step in the limelight and say, you know what? Who cares what the players say? I'm the boss. I'm the leader. I'm the commissioner. It's despicable. And the NBA needs to figure this out because, to me, the game is no fun to watch anymore Mm -hmm. as a Knicks fan. Now, do you think going back to your initial question, do you think it's just an NBA problem though,
3: or is it a, a league, a other league problem? It's so an NBA because, problem.
2: It's okay. a league problem too. I mean, a, a lot of other players from other different sports open their mouths and say what they feel. But LeBron James has ruined the game of basketball. He's hurt the game of basketball, and I don't care what anybody says if. Le- LeBron's son comes to the league, Dwayne Wade's son comes to the league, Chris Paul's son comes in the league, we're going to have this for a very long time until we have another spokesman or another player that will step into the limelight and say, you know what, I don't need two superstars next to me, I can win it with subpar players at best. I'm I'm a champion, I know how to win championships, and I don't need a superstar next to me, or I don't need two superstars next to me to win a championship. The game has really, it's really affected what I see the NBA going. There's a lot of money. Adam Silver has made a lot of money for the NBA. So has all the other commissioners in professional sports. Gary Bettman, Rob Manford, and Roger Goodell. That's why they're very wealthy guys, and they know how to make money. And me and you, Speedy, could be commissioners of a league and figure out how to bring endorsements (laughs) and sponsorships to a major organization like those. You could sign up to be NFL commissioner right
3: now and you'd already do better than Roger Goodell. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I think, though, too, I I think you're right. The players are more outspoken, even across all leagues in general. Now, again, I don't know if it necessarily affects GM strategy in certain sports. Like, I think it definitely does in basketball. There's no doubt about that. It's a player-run league. I think... Maybe now we're seeing a little bit of it in the NFL, but I still don't think it dominates the way of you still need to develop players. Well, you still need to draft well, and you still need to, again, get certain positions that you need premier positions, MLB. We've seen some players get overpaid. And then we've also seen players wait forever to have to get a contract. So I think there's, I don't know if it's the same logic. I think GMs are being a little smarter in baseball and trying to not give uh, past Money to control that didn't, right. control players that did did well in the past. They judge more. And I think we had this uh, conversation with one of our guests last week mm-hmm. with future projections of what they could do and what they could be. And that's what baseball is doing. Hockey is kind of the same thing. They, they more homegrown players. They'll sign a free agent here and there and they'll sign him pretty long, kind of like baseball does. I think it's a very similar type of operation. They have a minor league system. The NBA is, I think, really the biggest exception to everything, and I think the biggest exception you'll ever see in any sport.
2: And Adam Silver's one of the smartest commissioners in professional sports, so if if there's anybody that can figure out a way to stop guys like LeBron James controlling the league and controlling it the way he wants it, because LeBron James got what he wanted. He got Anthony Davis. He got all the players he needed to win a championship this year, and I'm telling you right now, they're probably going to win this year. I mean... It's either them or the Clippers in the Western Conference and, and in the Eastern Conference, it's Milwaukee or the Celtics. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Right. To me, the game has absolutely affected the the way we look as fans of what the game should be. And it's a shame because you got guys like Mark Michael Jordan, who we saw the last dance and we, you know, we respect Michael Jordan because even though he was a crazy lunatic on the court. <laughs> The guy won. And I want to hear about Scottie Pippen because Scottie Pippen asked Skip Bayless. Scottie Pippen, in his eyes, and he, he, he practically ran uh, the Bulls basketball section of their newspaper over there for almost 10 years in the great years of the Chicago Bulls. And even Skip Bayless said he wouldn't even put Scottie Pippen in his top 50. So when you hear that from somebody like Skip Bayless, it just shows you how great Michael Jordan was. Mm-hmm. And Michael Jordan didn't need the other superstars. Look what he did with the Bullets when he went over there to the Bullets. He, he was getting better and better as the games went by. Go look at his last 10 games before right. he tore his meniscus. He was averaging 27 points a game, and they were on their way to the playoffs. Were they, were they, I, was, I was just going to ask, were they ever a consistent playoff team when he was there? Those... No, he, was only, he only played one year, and then okay. he tore his meniscus. Right. So uh, Michael Jordan, uh, he was on his way. He was figuring things out. He was averaging his last 10 games. He was averaging 27.5 points a game. Wow. So, I I mean, come on, guys. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, and even Michael Jordan wouldn't have done that. And you ask Michael Jordan, I've seen the documentaries. I've seen it. Michael Jordan said he would never, he would never go to another team and join forces with another player of his choosing. He would never. Now,
3: I have a question with that, though. I agree with you on the whole notion. The whole notion is stupid. Now, the NBA has also always had a parity problem, though, for the most part. They, look at the 80s. We were talking about it yesterday with Eric. Every, a lot of the NBA finals were the Lakers or the Celtics, seemingly, every year. Then it was the Bulls, seemingly, every year. They've, it seems like they always have a parity problem where there's just maybe a lot of bad teams as well, though, too, even
2: in just different eras. And no. I, I think it's all the players. You have all the great players on one team or two teams or three teams, and there's no parity. There's none. And, and that's the problem right now with the NBA. And there's only one person and one person only that can fix this, and that's Adam Silver. Adam Silver is going to have to find a way because right now you're looking at Golden State. They just made a move. They added Andrew Wiggins. Uh, they got – I don't know how they added D'Angelo Russell in the offseason from a sign-and-trade from right. the Nets. They – they're practically gave the Golden State Warriors. They're going to get the number one pick this year. And they have Steph Curry coming back. And they have Klay Thompson coming back. And they have Draymond Green. And they could get Wiseman. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is not fair. And the NBA needs to figure out a way to fix the game. And LeBron James has ruined the game, no matter how great he is as a player. And I love him as a player. He has ruined
3: the game. I think the only way, unfortunately, that we're going to see this happen is if some other, I guess, counterculture or exception-to-the-rule team we see win a championship. I think that's the only way we're ever going to see that, just because the players love each other too much. And you're right. It's unfortunate the way it is. LeBron has ruined the game for that reason. I think the only way you'll ever see that is some surprise team that comes out of nowhere. We saw with Dallas one year with the first year LeBron was in Miami, but that was really – It. I mean, the Raptors even last year, I mean, they didn't have stars galore, but they had Kawhi Leonard. So that's still a star to to look at. And it seems like every other champion is was either the Warriors or the Spurs who had stars. All these teams had them and, and they were just adding more and more just because of that. So the only way that'll happen is we've seen a consistent trend. I think of these middle or smaller market teams that just grow players on their own, develop them. Well, kind of like what the Spurs were when Popovich first started there, mm. you, you need something like that to really set the trend. And maybe players won't do that as much. Maybe players will be thinking, all right, this team is, has some good young players. This team is a great coach. Maybe I'll go there instead. And rather than saying, all right, I'm going to go team up with this guy. Cause I like him. <laughs>
2: And that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank Lauren Laporte and Alex Garrett for joining us. I want to apologize to the fans that they couldn't see the video feed. Uh, We had some technical difficulties on the other side. It was not us. It was on the other side. So I will tell you guys this. We will be back on Thursday. Everything should be up and running, so there will be no problems there. I'd like to thank all the fans that did tune in and listen to the show. Thank you. Uh, uh, we will get the audio files and on uh, your Twitter so everybody can see the Twitter feed. We'll get, add pictures to it so you guys can see us a little bit. Speedy will fix that. Um, again, I'd like to apologize for the technical difficulties, but we still had the show. You could still listen to the audio, so uh, we're very happy that everything... Uh, somewhat moved somewhat, in the right direction. Yeah. So, uh, again, I'd like to thank all the fans for listening to us, and uh, we will be back Thursday. Remember, you can call us at six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, you can find us on our app. How do you do that? You go to iOS WWSRN, or you can go to Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our label, our logo is right there. We have a beautiful beautiful app for all you fans. I worked really, really hard with my designers. Uh, spent a lot of money. So, this is for you guys. I want all the fans to download it. Please, if you don't have it, download it. It's for you. Until Thursday, this is Harold Marks and Speedy Peedy and Down to the Wire saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.
0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.